Welcome to a new episode of the Electric Podcast, everyone. I'm Fred Lambert, your host, and as usual, I'm joined by Seth Wintraum. How are you doing today, Seth? I'm good. I'm glad you're good because we have a ton to talk about this week. This week was a huge week in EV news. We're going to jump right into it. But right before that, I want to thank our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Hemp, makers of energy management solution for e-mobility products. Uh, we're going to have a little bit more to uh, tell you about them later on the show. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but right now, let's jump right into the news because there's time to talk about. So we we, we spent a, a big part of the show last week discussing the, our expectation for uh, uh not just our expectation, but uh, the uh, Wall Street's expectation for. Oh, sorry. Uh, let me just mute myself. This is annoying. Uh, not mute myself, but uh, mute my notification. I forget that like one week out of two all the time. The uh, delivery number for Q3 for Tesla. So, pretty much exactly what I thought was going to happen happened. I was saying last week, I feel like Wall Street is setting up tesla for failure here the the despite the warnings that tesla gave ahead of the quarter they push for basically like a marginal decrease in quarter to quarter deliveries um and sure enough tesla came lower than that at uh, 435,000 deliveries when when wall street was uh they, they, it settled a little bit lower than what we were discussing last week uh, we discussed it like a, a day later they were updated the consensus that was closer to 455,000 but st still 20,000 below the consensus so tesla missed expectation by a, a big margin but like i like, like i told you I, I think that the 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 expectation was just way too high from wall street Production was at 430,000 uh, delivery uh, uh, units. So Tesla over-delivered by 5,000 units last quarter for versus the production. So they, they worked through their inventory. So that's something of note here. Now, obviously, Wall Street was like, oh, down 4% in the morning because of that. But Tesla, but the stock came right back after that. So it, it's kind of weird because like Tesla warns Wall Street is like this quarter, it's going to be a little bit lower because we are going to do some production shutdowns for factory upgrades and everything like that. And then Wall Street is like, yeah, sure. No, no, you're going to deliver the same number of cars <laughs> this quarter, right. basically. Uh, even though you have access to all that production data and all that demand data that we don't have access to, we know better than you, Tesla. So we expect more out of you. Makes no sense. But at the same time, well, the, the stock went right back up and a lot of people attributed it to Tesla in the um, uh, release of those numbers. Tesla said that it still expects uh, deliveries of about 1.8 million vehicles in 2023. So they were like, oh, well, at least they're still... Do you still believe that? Again, nothing has changed. And then the stock popped earlier the next day with that. Makes no sense whatsoever because actually Tesla kind of gave us a range, which is rare uh, for the year where they always officially said 1.8 million units. But Elon said that that's on the lower side and that they, he could see them reaching 2 million. Now, I think 2 million is like out of possibility, in my opinion. I think that's uh, pretty fair. Uh, but the 1.8 million is easily achievable. It's like I think it's close to 475,000 units they need to deliver in Q4, uh, which is like 40,000 more than they delivered uh, last quarter. Only 10,000 more than the, the record quarter of Q2. So it all seems very achievable in my book. Uh, I I think Tesla is going to hit that 1.8 million units uh, in Q4 uh, in for the full year. I mean, all right, we had. The comeback, well, comeback of a new version, comeback of a cheaper Model Y in a new version 
uh, Model Y rear-wheel drive with a standard range sort of battery pack. You don't call it the standard range, obviously. So you still with the rear-wheel drive Model Y you're sticking for. With a much lower price of four, uh, $43,990, um, basically for $44,000. So it's uh, it replaced the all-wheel drive Model Y that went away uh, with the... Um, the, the Texas Bill Model Y that we talked a few, a few weeks ago that, that was discontinued. So it's a little bit cheaper than that, but it has a, does it has a shorter, 260 miles of range. I think it has the same range, about the same range, right? It's going to be shorter. What, what oh, was the range? it's just rear-wheel drive. Yeah. I uh, didn't report on the range last time. I don't, I don't remember. I think it was around that, that same. Uh, uh, we have indication too that it's probably LFP cells that they're losing that you're using since they have the same indication in the in the um, notes of the, the the system of the battery that you can charge 100 percent and all that so that would uh, almost confirm that it's uh, LFP over NMC. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's just, this is a very aggressive price point. Obviously, it's uh, it's something that uh, we've been noting from Tesla throughout all year. They've been slashing prices i i, I want to put in perspective though that like tesla is aggressively slashing prices while uh, amid and still some inflation amid other companies not necessarily cutting prices or cutting them as much as tesla but you have to put in a perspective that tesla increases the price a lot in 2021 and 2022 to to, to a higher margin than most other automakers so so those price walk back a little bit are not as massive as as they first seem but we now have a Model Y at $44,000. I think it's good news for everyone. Elon himself went on, promoted the vehicle on Twitter, saying that on X, saying that uh, rear-wheel drive is actually pretty good in, in the winter when you have the right tires. You don't necessarily need an all-wheel drive, which is you know convenient to see as you discontinue an all-wheel drive model, replace it by rear-wheel drive. But I actually agree with him for the most part. Like on, Unless you live in, in a... like dirt road that uh, is harder to maintain in, in the winter or something like that. Um, m- most of the time, you're going to be just fine with the rear-wheel drive and electric vehicles in the rear-wheel drive specifically are a little bit better than the uh, ICE vehicles with the same uh, drivetrain. Anything other specific? Uh, the new model, 6.6 uh, seconds, 0 to 60. So obviously a little bit slower than the all-wheel drive. Um, is that Tesla's slowest car? Ever? Uh, you might have a point here because I think it might be a little bit slower than the Model 3 rear-wheel drive. I mean, it would make sense. It's a bigger car. Yeah, bigger um, car. Also, also uh, how does Tesla getting away with the, the $7,500 tax rebate on LFP batteries? So I have quite a few of you that reached out to me about that, and I'm looking into it, and like, if anyone can help me on this, if anyone has any kind of information, or even if you don't have insider information on this, but you have like a very good theory about it that I can explore more, uh, I'm willing to listen because this is something that's mind-boggling for a lot of people. Like, if both with this one and both with the Model Three, like the the fact that Tesla is getting away with this, and I mean, I'm not against it. Like, if they, they might just be playing by the rule, and there's we are not understanding the rule set completely, so I'm not saying that Tesla is doing something that it shouldn't be doing, but we don't understand how they are getting away with the battery sourcing requirements because we don't know of any LFP sales production in the US or in North America or in any major way at least, including in any countries that have uh, 
free trades agreement with the U.S. There's some production right now, LFP sells in Quebec, actually, but it's super low volume. And I mean, it would be giant news if Tesla is getting that from there. And I, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. And I think Ford is even kind of putting its uh, LFP plant on the back burner at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a mystery that I really would love to solve. Do you think it's something like the final assembly is done in the U.S.? One of those it, kind of tricks? It could be that, but I feel that we would have learned about that if it was the case. Because we're talking, like, first of all, what kind of final assembly it is. So if they get the final, like, because the battery pack is most likely being produced here. That's not a problem. So we're not talking about that. We're talking, are you talking about, like, battery cells, final assemblies? Because that... That's like not likely. Like that's all done at the same spot. So I don't know. It's it's a weird one. Okay. On top of launching a cheaper Model Y this week, Tesla slashed the prices across its entire lineup of the Model Three and Model Y, excluding the new Model Y that just launched. Obviously, that is at forty four thousand dollars. It's still the cheapest, but the long range and performance version both got a two thousand dollar price cut. Now starting at fifty thousand five hundred and fifty four thousand five hundred respectively. Uh, so that's uh, a little bit cheaper option too. So now you can also get the all-wheel drive in the no, not as cheap as the uh, Texas one. You can still get uh, this uh, long range one. So longer range for $50,000. It's not bad at all. And then uh, Model 3 getting cheaper too, starting now at $39,000 uh, for the uh, base rear-wheel drive model, which is 5.8 seconds. So yeah, it is faster than uh, significantly faster than the, the new Model Y. And if you want the long range and all-wheel drive, you get up to uh, $46,000 and $50,000 for the um, performance version. Man, I remember when I, I mean, with taxes, I paid $100,000. <laughs> yeah. Canadian, though, Canadian. So uh, that's still like, like what, 70, 75000 US, something like that? Yeah, and as Jamie mentioned, there was a $35,000 Model 3 that was a little bit, uh, what was that called, the SR? Standard range. Not yeah, the standard range, and it was very short-lived. And it was off the menu for a while. Yeah, it was. I think it was on the menu for like a week and then off the menu, supposedly for a, Couple like a year or so. But uh, the more we learn about it, the harder it was to get access to it. They really didn't want to sell that at all. Yeah. But now, I mean, if you can get access, uh, if you're yourself eligible for a tax credit, I mean, thirty-eight, $39,000 is, is pretty cheap for what you get, I think. Yeah, especially if you're in a state like New York or California, we get another 2000 So you're talking yeah. under $30,000 for a Model 3. Yeah, you can stack them up pretty easy. Then you take into account, you take into account the gas savings, and it's, uh, I mean, pays for itself pretty quickly. Not really, but pretty much. Yeah. Um, obviously... Interest rates are a big problem still. That's why Tesla yep. is slashing those prices. It's trying to combat that because at the end of the day, it's your monthly payment. It's important that that makes a difference. Uh, some people are able to buy it outright, and that's uh, that's a big game changer right now with the interest rate. But that's, I think, I, don't, I would like to know how many people right now. I know it's a much higher percentage than it was just a few years ago, but I, I'm still curious as how big of a percentage it is of people that are buying cars outright. All right, this was an interesting one here. Is the Powerwall 3 a precursor to Tesla finally going, um, I, I use vehicle to G here, uh, the V2G, vehicle to grid, but vehicle to everything, vehicle to home, vehicle to whatever. Um, 
this is uh, an observation that came from uh, Mr. Uh, Ned Funnel. So he's a charging solution architect, basically a charging electric vehicle charging expert. And he, he had a very interesting observation where with the launch of the Powerwall that we reported on last month, he said it's interesting that the power capacity is 11.5 kilowatts because the Powerwall obviously's inverter is bidirectional. So it's basically a bidirectional charger. And it happens to be the same capacity, 11.5 kilowatt, that is that you have on all the latest Tesla vehicles. So everything except the rear-wheel drive Model 3 has an 11.5 kilowatt charger. So it raises the point, is it a coincidence? Or is Tesla using the same onboard charger in its vehicle as it does in this new Powerwall? Tesla is known for loving to share parts between products. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is the case here. Uh, we don't know for a fact. This is an observation. And to me, it's an observation that makes a ton of sense. Uh, obviously, you have to put them in the context of what Tesla has been saying about vehicle to grid. For the longest part, Tesla has not been super, super positive about it. Th those pings are coming from, from you, right? Uh, from, not from you, right? Uh, I keep hearing pings. Did you hear that? Yeah, it's my stupid watch. I can't turn uh, it off. I, can't, I, can't. I wasn't sure. Sorry. Uh, um, I tried putting it under my... <laughs> oh, the, the good old under the butt yeah. <laughs> sound system, uh, sound suppression system. All right, I wasn't. I was just wasn't sure. So, the context is Tesla has not been very hyped about vehicle to grid, vehicle to home, vehicle to whatever. But lately, they have indicated that they plan to move to it. They plan to offer it. Uh, we even heard that Cybertruck would be the first one to get it. So the timing would make sense if Cybertruck get it. But Tesla has also been known to be to deploy hardware to be future proof, which mean that would which wouldn't surprise me if the capability would already be there inside the vehicle. They just need to have the interface with it through a software update. Uh, obviously, there's other things that would be needed to either uh, for a vehicle to load some kind of adapter on the vehicle with with, with plugs. Uh, or uh, if you want to really do a vehicle to home or vehicle to the grid, then on your home, you would need to be to have something. Uh, maybe even the Powerwall 3 could be something that uh, could work with that in the future. We don't know. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's possible that this observation uh, is based on, on a true move by Tesla, but uh, we don't know. Uh, so I just thought it would be interesting to discuss it with you guys. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes a ton of sense. Uh the other thing we were talking about is like, well, why can't you just do DC charging to uh, uh, to the cars? That would require a lot less hardware, and it could go a lot faster. But I think that might be a, a step too far. Uh, someday we'll have 400-volt charging. We'll see. I mean, I do remember. It was a while ago at this point. I don't remember exactly when, but at some point, Elon hinted that, that the next version of the Pearl Wall, that's what it would be. Like, it would be like a charger... Bidirectional charger and um, uh, a stationary battery pack at the same time. So that was so a while ago. And like when Elon announced something, sometimes he announced it publicly, and it's the first time that anyone at Tesla has heard about it or right. has heard that it's greenlit, or if you can even call it that. So I don't put too much weight on that, but I put much more weight on that observation here that the 11.5 kilowatt charger is the same capacity as the Powerwall 3, which is undoubtedly a bi-directional charger. So interesting. Makes sense.
All right, this is pretty cool here. We see uh, Tesla has expanded the Cybertruck testing all the way to Mexico, and not just Mexico, but like for the most part, the Cybertruck we've seen have been primarily in California and Texas, almost exclusively in California, Texas, and uh, New Zealand for a bit for the, the winter testing and all that. But those are really the only places the car has been. In the last week, we've seen uh, Cybertrucks all the way to Ohio, all, all the way to Florida, and I think that Ohio and Florida was the same truck, actually. But that's as far east that uh, that the truck has been, and then we've seen it this week also in uh, Mexico, in Baja California, and I thought that was interesting because for a few reasons. First off, we have another wrap. All right, I don't know if it like it has to be a wrap, and it's not, yeah, a decal. Maybe you call it. Maybe they left it in the wrong neighborhood. Yeah, or it could it could be an actual graffiti too. Like they might have hired like some kind of. Yeah, artist. actually, uh, didn't you have a graffiti artist do your Model X? Yeah. Um, so I don't oh. know. It might, it might be, I don't know how good stainless steel is as a canvas though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's not the interesting part here. Anyway, the interesting part is in Baja California, I don't know if you remember, but in 2020, Elon said that Tesla might test the truck in Baja, said we're working on increasing dynamic air suspension travel for better off-roading need to kick butt in Baja. And when he says Baja here, I assume he means not necessarily Baja place but Baja uh, the Baja 1000 rally which is as a reputation to be like the toughest off-road rally out there well I guess the Baja 2000 is, is even even tougher technically but uh, you know like the, the the series of Baja rallies it's off-road rallies which a bunch of different off-road vehicles it's not just like trucks it's also like ATVs and UTVs and all that but rugged trucks which I mean Tesla has been marketing the Cybertruck as a rugged truck uh, he, he's been aiming that this would perform well in Baja. And Baja starts actually, um, but not, not all the time. I think they change the location sometimes, but I think historically it's been mainly starting in Ensenada, which is where this truck was potted. So it might be that Tesla has done some testing there. But we also saw uh, they, they have two bars. You don't see it here. You see more on this picture here. There's uh, two uh, bars on it for uh, accessories. So we've seen one before uh, when they launched the uh, or, or they broke ground at the refinery, the lithium refinery in uh, in Texas. But this is a new one. This is a more simpler accessory bar. And on this picture, we see that there's a Starlink antenna on that bar, which I thought was interesting. Um, I went like Starlink for those who are not familiar. Starlink is the SpaceX satellite by base uh, internet uh, service. And they have an option for moving vehicles. So to put on an RV, for example. And I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, don't be shocked if you see this as an option directly from Tesla. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, if they eventually offer, like, do you want a Starlink with your, with your space, with your Cybertruck? I feel like it could be built in a little bit better. That looks, yeah, maybe they're just testing it right now. But. Yeah. I mean, it could be under the glass, you would think. I don't know about under the glass, but yeah, there's definitely a way to do it better than that. Looks like a little bit sleeker. We got an update on the Tesla Semi. Thanks to Jay Leno and the team. So Jay Leno's garage on CNBC and YouTube, uh, they had an exclusive with uh, the cyber, uh, the Tesla Semi and Jay Leno got to drive it. And he was with uh, Franz Van Halsen, uh, so Tesla's chief engineer, uh, sorry, chief uh, design, designer, chief designer, yeah. And also Dan Priestley, who is the engineering head of the Tesla Semi program. And the show was mostly with Dan. And I, I, was, I was very impressed with him. Uh, the guy is clearly like super knowledgeable. 
and uh, very passionate about the cyber the Tesla semi project. I keep seeing Cybertruck, the Tesla semi project, and he, he gave a pretty thorough update to to Jay who, who drove the truck. It's it's the, the show is worth watching, uh, but those that don't have the forty minutes. Uh, I, I picked up some of the most interesting uh, point of the show. So first one, uh, Dan confirmed that uh, Tesla has replaced some of its diesel trucks to do the trip between Gigafactory Nevada and Fremont Factory to uh, move the battery pack. So one, the, the only thing that I don't like about the Tesla Semi since the production launch and everything like they did the whole event and whatnot is that they never confirmed the price so they still haven't confirmed the price and they never confirmed the weight of the tractor so that we can know exactly the capacity of the of the truck so they still haven't done that yet but Priestley here said something that at least confirmed that like the like we confirmed that it's a significant capacity and therefore a manageable extra weight because we do believe that there's extra weight with the this semi compared to a diesel tractor is that they replaced these diesel trucks on these roads, he said, with the same load that they were doing before. So whatever they were loading those uh, semi with, with those battery pack, which has to be pretty heavy, like I, I, would, I would assume that the tractor, that the trailer is like not full. Like you don't full a trailer full of battery pack. You can full a trailer of toilet paper or of chips. I'm sure that Frito-Lay and Pepsi are doing that, but you cannot full it with lithium ion battery packs. They say that they're doing this the exact same trick, which is a 260 mile trip, and you have these. Uh, you're going through not necessarily going through Tao. What's the pass? They have a pass. Dollars pass there. Like you have a lot of uh, mountains, uh, so it's not an easy trip. And they say that they are doing this exact same trick with the Tesla Semi rather than the the trucks with the same full load of battery pack. So I think that's awesome news. He did talk a little bit about uh, the drive inverter being from the Cybertruck and the Tesla Semi, and also at first they were using the uh, Tesla Model Three drivetrain. The, now they're using the carbon wrapped motors that you see in the uh, Model S and X. Also disclosed that uh, the truck has up to 1,500 horsepower of power available. Um, but he says that's not, that is always uh, modified for the specific use of the truck. So it's not always fully available. It's available depending on a customer specific profile. So it's in order to like save the tires and it's like depending, like if you don't need all that power, you don't want them to uh, use it uh, depending on the traction. I mentioned the regen coming down from Donner's Pass is like a huge amount of savings, not yeah. just for like you're saving obviously on power, you're, you're regenerating a lot of power, but like the brakes on the uh, trucks don't have to re be replaced nearly as often because they're just regening the whole way down. They're emergency brake basically, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they touched that a little bit. I would have wished that they would have said what's exactly the capacity, the region capacity, like the max one, because I think that would have been probably pretty impressive. Uh, they didn't say that, but they, they did talk a little bit about region and saying, like, it's obviously a game changer. You'd be able to recoup some energy from that. Uh, friends did mention that the, the I, don't, I don't know if it was, I think he maybe said it before, but I, I think I, don't, I didn't remember it, that the design was highly inspired by uh, high-speed trains in Japan, which now that, now that he says it, like, I can I can definitely see it. I mean, the train, the high-speed train, is definitely a, a much smoother uh, incline, decline, like slope in the front, like for sure. But yep. like, it's more aggressive. We, obviously, you have to do that for that for the purpose of the truck. But I thought, I now I can definitely see it. Uh, Priestley has confirmed that uh, they're planning a sleeper cab, uh, but uh, they're only going to deploy that once they have deployed more 
uh, mega charger station for long distance driving because it, it's just they go hand in hand obviously if you want a slipper cab it's probably because you want to go more distances there they have already have technically the capacity to do long haul with the 500 mile version of the truck but they have they are concentrating their deliveries right now for uh, companies that they use that internally like pepsi for example that goes between their uh, distribution center so you, even though you're doing long distances uh, you can just charge at those locations rather than charge in between uh, also he confirmed that there's about 70 of them made so i don't know if that's necessarily surprises people the last time we had an update on that is when tesla did the recall and they recall like 35 of them which confirmed that they had 35 now they are up to 70 so basically uh, double that so we know that the volume production of that truck is only coming once they have the expansion in Tesla uh, Gigafactory Nevada, which has been stalling since the announcement in January. We haven't seen anything happen there. We I did that a report this week and then I found a bunch of uh, a new job posting that was posted in the last few days for the Tesla Semi production at Gigafactory Nevada. So that's good news there. But until we actually see Tesla build and the expansion of the factory, like nothing's going to happen. So don't expect... 50,000 trucks a year, like Elon said, <laughs> would be coming in 2024. That's, uh, that's madness. But maybe in 2025, if things start moving. Yeah, missing just by a year would be an improvement. Yeah. All right. Uh, another one that's been lagging is Gigafactory Mexico. And uh, yesterday we learned maybe why that's the case. The uh, governor governor of uh, Nuevo Leon, the the state where Tesla is building this, just outside of Monterey, uh, it's uh, he, the, the Samuel Garcia is his name. He said that uh, Tesla and the states are right now negotiating for the deployment of energy, water, road, and rail infrastructure at the site. And if you see the site, like I mean, it's it's next to a highway, but it's pretty deserted around it. So it makes sense that until there is deployment of that, I mean, you could build a structure of it for sure. And I don't know why that hasn't started. Uh, Tesla has submitted its uh, environment study. But uh, until at least production, there's just no way that you do that without the electricity, water, uh, infrastructure, and even probably rail for transport of employees and whatnot and, and transport of goods too. So he said that they are in the early stages of uh, investment negotiation, early stage of infrastructure uh, negotiation for this project. So if that's the case, I think we have to reshape our expectation because our expectations were high for Gigafactory Mexico. Uh, Tom Zhu, who is now in charge of the Gigafactories at Tesla, uh, said that uh, you could see Tesla doing something like they did in Shanghai, which moves super fast. So obviously, they could, could still do that because like the, the real impressive thing about Shanghai was like from breaking ground to production was nine months, which is insane. Um, so they haven't broken ground even yet. So that could still happen. But we thought they might have already broken ground by now. The, the, the thing was announced in March. So it's been a while. Um, so maybe reshape our expectation until they have a plan for deploying infrastructure at the at the site. That's kind of a minimum requirement. All right, this, this was a, a very weird one, a very controversial one this week. So we reported a few times on this uh, class action lawsuit that uh, some Tesla owners are trying to put together in order to uh, hold Tesla accountable for the claims that they've made around self-driving and their lack of uh, delivering on those claims, which 
I mean, as a myself, an owner of a full self driving and having some disappointment in Tesla, not being completely transparent about the uh, the timeline, like. Uh, and I put a lot of the blame on that on Elon, obviously, because he's the one setting those timelines publicly. And I think, I think if you were to look internally, you probably would see some pushback. That's what we've heard so far a lot. Like the the recent book, for example, we saw some of that in there. So I think there's there's a value in investigating the situation through uh, legal procedures and with disclosure to see, like, okay, what Elon has been saying publicly, what Tesla has been saying publicly, and what internally has been done and what where they stand uh, in order to justify selling a full self-driving package of up to $15,000 while not delivering. I think, I think there's some value in there. And those owners, those five owners there have been that, that initiated a class action lawsuit. That's what they were trying to achieve. And uh, now that's all in the garbage. A judge has shut all of that down uh, Tesla has managed to weasel its way out. And I've used the word weasel here and I saw some Tesla fans. I'm sure some Tesla fans are, are boiling right now, but I, I'm sure some Tesla lawyers are kind of happy about it. They're like, yeah, yeah, call us a weasel all we want. We just, we did our job, uh, which technically you did, I guess. But what they did is like they got away with it by um, convincing the judge that all these owners have agreed to arbitration. I, Arbitration. That's a hard word for me. Yeah, arbitration. Arbitration. Uh, I didn't know this. I mean, I, I've heard of it before, but I didn't know it applied to something like that, which I think this is a, like a big thing that needs to go through the court. It cannot be a one-on-one arbitration process with Tesla, which Tesla is going to crush everyone one by one. Like that's that's the kind of thing. Like I know class action are, are kind of weird sometimes and the biggest winners are their lawyers all the time. I, I understand that. But they have some value in terms of like every single owner individually are not as strong as all the owners together pulling their uh, resources and uh, a farm of lawyers getting involved with the hope of having some compensation at the end. It's not the same as going against Tesla and arbitration one by one. That's just more difficult. And apparently what we learned is that Everyone in the U.S. that signed a order contract with Tesla has automatically get into an arbitration contract agreement to arbitrate uh, that is automatic unless you send a letter, not even an email, a letter to Tesla within 30 days. Did you send your letter, Seth? I did not, and I yeah. didn't even know that was even an option. I didn't read that that part of the agreement. Yeah. We had all our people at Electric that owns Tesla. There's quite a few. Uh, and check it out. And me, I don't have it in mind because I'm in Canada. There, there, there was actually a clause on it, but it certainly didn't apply in, in uh, Ontario. For some reason, I thought my car was registered in Ontario, I guess, uh, first. But in the U.S., everyone had it. So everyone that didn't read their contract and send a letter within 30 days to opt out of that agreement to arbitrate automatically in the event, I'm, I'm reading for the contract here, in the event of a concern or dispute between us, us meaning Tesla and the owner, please send Tesla written notice to, like, you, you cannot send an email to opt out of it, but once you're in it, you can send an email <laughs> to resolutions at tesla.com describing the nature of the dispute and relief sought. If it is not resolved within 60 days, Tesla and you agree to any dispute arising out of the related uh, out of or relating to any aspect of the relationship between us, like that's quite encompassing. Like any aspect of the relationship between us will not be decided by our judge or jury. 
mm, but instead by a single arbitrator in arbitration administered by the American Arbitration and Arbitration Association. So technically, it's not in favor of Tesla, this whole arbitration process. And it is, is the argument that uh, those companies that are forcing down their or throw these arbitration process are doing. But it is in, our fa in their favor and in the side that Tesla has an army of lawyers and you don't. Uh, and now you're going to go and you can technically have an army of lawyers yourselves if you're going to a class action because you're, everyone's pooling their, their resources or the lawyers are doing it pro bono. No, it's not, I guess it's not pro bono if you know that you're going to get a compensation at the end, but they're, they're not charging you on, on other than a percentage of the, uh, of, the, of a settlement if there's a settlement. Yeah, I so, just wonder if like a company or you know a lawyer can say, "Hey, all right, hey, I, I I know the formula for doing this. Let's just go to the arbitration. They go to the arbitrator. They do this, this, and this. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Like, full self driving is not doing any kind of full self driving right now, and that this one lawyer can just keep going back to every yeah. arbitrator they throw at them. Yeah, but or, it would require some kind of uh, consolidation on the side of the like. So some lawyer, like it, it needs to basically be a new specialty. Like I'm a, so I'm not, I'm not a family lawyer. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a, a liability arbitration lawyer. lawyer. I'm a FSD Tesla lawyer, and I, I take the claim. Like so, it, it will have to be like someone that take up that role, which, and. And yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like the the work becomes like the same from one another. It's just I don't know. It's it's not. It's it, Tesla weasel its way out of the class action lawsuit. I think. I think I my headline says. I it think all. they should. I think they should just offer it back. They've got the money. It's not going to break them. They'll go. The stock market. The stock will drop a little bit, and it'll be over, and everybody will be happy theoretically. Here, here's the thing too. I think most people that bought FSD or like pretty hardcore Tesla fans right. that still believe that it's going to happen and all that. So I think like if you, if you go out and you say, everyone that's not happy with FSD, you get your money back. Like if you do that, you build yourself a lot of goodwill. Yep. And those that are angry about it, they get their money back. Like, I don't know what kind of percentage it is. I don't believe that it's a very high percentage. I think it would be It is a percentage that they have a valid argument. That's the thing. They have their right. valid argument. Um, and all those Tesla fans that are like crying about it, like Tesla not to do that, like just don't ask for a refund and stick with your full self driving yeah. package. And like, it'll eventually I don't even come. know if I would take a refund, to, to be honest. Like, I still use the FSD package to some degree. I don't, I'm not happy with it, but I'm still holding on to that hope that eventually it will improve enough that it, be, it, will, it will become valuable. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about our friends at AMP who's sponsoring the show this week. Take it away, Seth. All right, today's episode is sponsored by AMP, makers, that's AMP, makers of energy management solutions for e-mobility products. Team AMP is known for its expertise in the industry when it comes to understanding the battery and its functionality. With more than 300 years of combined experience, the team has developed proven battery management systems suitable for a wide range of applications starting from 12 volts to 1,000 volts. That extends to AMP battery management systems algorithms that help companies building e-mobility products improve battery life while maximizing the power that can be safely utilized. The company also offers highly integrated combination of charging software and hardware with AMP EMU. That includes an all-in-one DC-DC converter, onboard charger, power distribution, and a charge controller for electric vehicles. 
This unit saves space and, and cost in your EVs while providing maximum power density. Brands building new electric vehicle products will want to consider the AMP EVCC, a state-of-the-art charge controller for electric vehicles with support for all major charging standards, including CCS, NACS, and CHAdeMO, and the AMP Fast Charge Junction Box to enable Level 3 DC fast charging, all built by the AMP Charging Software Stack, the world's number one charging software capable of complying with all major charging standards globally. You can learn more about AMP Energy Management Solutions at amp.tech. You guys should take a quick look at the site here. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Ham, for sponsoring this week's episode of the Electric Podcast. We have, uh, I mean, we're 37 minutes in. We have, we have a bunch of other news to discuss, our non-Tesla news, really. Uh, so stick around for that. If you do enjoy the show, I would appreciate if you can give us a like, a thumbs up, whatever it is on your app. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and X. Um, if you don't want to miss the next episode, you can also subscribe to the show or follow us on whatever app you're, you're listening and uh, put the notification button on and uh, you will be notified whenever we go live, which is mostly 4 p.m. Eastern time, but uh, sometimes it changes with all the travel. And we have a ton of travel uh, coming up uh, in the You're next month. You're going to Japan. I'm yeah, going I'm to going to Japan. Europe You're going again. back to Europe. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be, be a busy fun. few months. But a lot of things to talk about on the show when you do. Yep. So that's great. And if you're listening on your podcast app, the audio version of the podcast, uh, if you can give us a five-star review on that, on that app, it helps the show a ton, and we appreciate when you do. All right, let's jump right back in with... Oh, yeah, these, uh, these new guidelines from the IRS came out uh, today with uh, the point of sales, which is going to take, go into effect January 1st, so next year. Um, so already a year of the reformed AV tax credit and has been very successful so far. But one of the points that was in the original plan but was delayed a year is making it point of sale, which means that instead of having to wait on the next tax seasons to, uh, to, to put that tax claim, uh, your tax credit to work, you will receive it directly at the point of sales. How is what we learned today with this new guidelines? Um, so I think one of the, like the main point is that all the eligibility, eligibility criteria are still the same in terms of income requirements, in terms of MSRP for the vehicle and obviously all the battery requirements and all that too. So you have, the vehicle needs to be eligible like it is already. And uh, you need to have the limited income, which is I think $150,000 a year individual, $300,000 a year as a couple and whatnot. The all, there's one thing that changes though, uh, which... I don't think it's going to apply to a ton of people, but it might depending on your situation. Your tax burden is not a concern anymore. So obviously, if you get a tax credit, you need to have the, for example, you get the full tax credit, you need to have the full $7,500 worth of federal tax burden in order for it to have any value. Uh, now, most people that buy uh, a car that can afford buying a new car has this kind of a uh, uh, tax burden. I think Jamie calculated it's $66,000 uh, to have a $7,500 federal tax credit. So you should be in that range to buy a new car normally, but everyone has different situation. Maybe you uh, are not working this year, but you have a lot of assets and you, you want to buy a new car. Like that's, there's, there's a situation like that. 
Um, now, how it works is you need to be a dealer. So it, they call it not a point of sales, they call it a transfer. Basically, you can transfer, you're allowed to transfer your tax credit when you buy a new EV, but the only person you can transfer it to is a dealer. So you can give your dealer the tax credit. You have to give them all your tax information, including your income, so that they can confirm, okay, you're eligible for it. They're not required to verify it. That goes to the IRS. So a dealer needs to register with the IRS to be able to send that information and then get back the credit. So they're basically claiming the credit for you. Um, if you lie on that application or whatever, the dealer is not liable for that. So, so it sounds like it's the IRS that's going to go after you for that. So the dealers are all safe in that situation. They don't take the risk. Uh, it's it's your tax credit and the IRS. They are, you're the two involved with that. The dealer is just like a middleman that a few days later, they, they take the credit. And then what the dealer can do once you transfer the credit to them is that they can give you cash compensation for the same amount or they can give you a down payment of the car for the same amount. So that's, that makes things interesting because what it does too is like it, it gives, it, it can give you like a direct discount of the vehicle. So that actually reduced the whole price of the vehicle. So I would assume that if you do it as a cash discount and not a down payment, because they do say there's three of them, right? There's, yeah, uh, in cash or in a partial payment or down payment. So that goes directly to affect your vehicle directly. Though a cash and down payment doesn't really affect the total price of the vehicle, so you still have to pay full taxes on them, I would assume. It's not, that would reduce your tax, uh, your, your MSRP price and, and then the tax after that. Still, it's a, it's a nice deal. It's, it, basically what it does, it's reduce greatly the time between which you buy the car and you get the the payment from the the incentive for the government yeah and shout out for to michael bauer for doing that nice uh, flow chart for us up there yes yeah if you go on the check and you see that flow chart that flow chart you follow it and basically tell you if you're eligible for a full credit a partial credit or no credit at all and that applies also to that new point of sale starting next year um january 1st the only advantage is if you don't have a federal tax burden, this not fine. So people have been saying a lot because in the original um, bill, there was a mention that you have to go through a dealer to get that. So a lot of people were asking, is Tesla going to be eligible because Tesla doesn't have dealers? I read the full thing and I didn't see anything that would prevent Tesla from offering it because even though they do again say that dealers are the only one that can offer this, Tesla is registered as a dealer in all the states that accept direct sales. So obviously there's still a direct sales issue, but that, that doesn't change anything with that. Um, so where Tesla can operate, they have dealer licenses, so they, they can register. All the dealers that want to offer this, they need to register with the IRS basically because there's going to be a portal on the IRS website uh, to handle all these transactions between uh, uh, those tax credit for EVs. So I just felt I to mention that uh, for people to know. All right, now we're oh, going to get into real quick some before delivery. We do that. Uh, we missed the uh, Hyundai uh, Nax thing. Oh, quick. I skipped the Nax. Oh, yeah. So our weekly Nax update, we have uh, the Hyundai Group. So that includes Hyundai, Genesis, and Kia have announced Nax adoption. So we already knew it was coming. They already indicated it. But today, uh, to this week, they made it official. Exact same deal as everybody else, meaning... 2024 adapters, 2025 adoption on new electric vehicles in North America. 
only a few left, guys. Only a few left on the list that uh, haven't uh, haven't adopted NACs. All right, we're gonna get into some delivery numbers from uh, automakers with the in the EV space. Uh, starting with GM. Oh, we don't have a nice chart. Okay, I have to find the exact numbers. But in general, uh, the Bolt still doing nice with uh, just short of sixteen thousand units, up thirteen percent quarter over quarter. Uh, we, we we thought they could get close to twenty thousand units, uh, eighty thousand. Like they, they were, I think they said seventy to eighty thousand units uh, overall this year. They could sell more. More? If, if they made more, they could sell more. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. There's no doubt about it. Because uh, uh, next quarter is the last one, right? Yep. Yeah. So well, the fifth quarter is the last one, really. We're already in Q4. Uh, but that's the bolt wasn't the most interesting one here. Uh, the highlighted was the Altium is starting to ramp up finally. So Altium, finally. even though is the future of GM's EV effort, and it's been on the market for a year, it's has been very, very slow in ramping up, especially the Hummer EV, but the Hummer EV jumped like crazy. Uh, last quarter was just 47 units, and I thought it was, okay, sorry, I have to find the exact numbers in the article. Uh, 1,167 in Q3, so that's a giant job. It's completely different, so we're actually going to see some of those on the road now. Uh, I mean, I've seen I've seen them once in Michigan last year. Uh, I've seen but, it, yeah. Yeah, it's like seeing a unicorn. Oh, right. Oh. <laughs> unicorn don't exist, people. I, I understand that, but you know what I mean. Yep. I mean, who knows? Maybe unicorn don't exist. We haven't explored everything. Uh, then the Lyric also ramped up a lot. It doubled quarter over quarter to now 3,100 units. So like when we're starting to see some, like it's it's still nowhere near like mold, three mold Y numbers, but those are extremely expensive vehicles. Well, the Lyric starts not too bad, but. And there was a few Blazer EV that was delivered too. 19. 19, okay. And 18 Silverado EVs. <laughs> Silverado, they didn't even announce that? Did we, did we announce like start of deliveries? Yeah, right? yeah but yeah. the problem is, is they were supposed to, the Silverados were supposed to launch in quarter two. Yeah. And they barely launched in quarter three. Yeah, 18. Yeah, that's... uh not not super impressive. Yeah, I mean, it, it, what's especially worrying is that if we see the same ramp as we saw for the Hummer and the Lyric right. on these two cars, like it's it's a bit worrying because like we won't see any significant number until this time next year. Which, which and actually, is, the Equinox was, or sorry, the uh, yeah, the Equinox was supposed to start happening in the Q three. Oh yeah. So it's supposed Sometimes to be fall, though. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. So th that's what they said. They said spring Silverado, yeah. summer uh, summer Blazer, and fall Equinox. So they can still like, yeah. like claim that they're doing okay. Yeah, but but the, but again, those numbers they, they they say otherwise though. Hopefully, we're mistaken and like the ramp up is much smoother for those vehicles. Okay, because I obviously I think the demand is there. Yeah. Uh, Rivian also came out with uh, their delivery numbers for Q3, and um, it's uh, it's quarter to quarter is a decent uh, increase. So up to just short eight units short of fourteen thousand deliveries. Uh, is that deliveries? No, that's produced. Sorry, that's produced. And uh, deliveries uh, fifteen thousand five hundred and sixty-four, up from twelve thousand six hundred forty. So up twenty-three percent in deliveries quarter to quarter. Um, no, sorry. Like the production is 16,300 up from 14,000, 
uh, in uh, in the quarter. So they're still they're still building up a bit of an inventory. I think they like two thousand units increase in inventory over the last uh, or over the last two quarter. So yeah, I mean that's that's a delivery fail because there's a huge line for people wanting wanting those things still. At least the R1S, the R1T. I think you can get one in like a week or yeah five yeah. something like that. Yeah, but still 2,000 units for Rivian, which has about like 30 locations in North America. It feels it feels like a lot. Like it feels like it's a lot of units per location like uh, that they that they have. Yeah, they need uh, to hire some more uh, delivery guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, also the CEO um, R.J. Scarringe went, went in an interview after that, and he said that uh, he, he sort of hinted that the improvement in gross margin that we've seen last quarter. You, you should expect something like that to this quarter with this increase. And go as far as saying that, but it's, it's kind of where he's hinted. I, I wouldn't expect it like a halving of the gross margin losses that they have on the car like they did last quarter, but it could be something significant because, again, 17% increase in production, 23% increase in delivery. And this is quarter to quarter, people. So quarter to quarter, this is some impressive stuff, like the, the rate at which they improve. You're going to still be losing car, losing money on every car this quarter but or in Q3. And probably in Q4 too, but uh, a little less. So I'm still encouraged by Rivian. But if you're a Rivian investor and you saw your stock plunge yesterday, uh, that's not because of the delivery numbers. That's because of uh, they decided to go back to the market and get uh, over a billion dollars in convertible notes, which has uh, surprised a lot of people. Yeah, uh, why weird. they would do that? Because they still have deep pockets. Uh, and they decided to do that. Like I didn't look into the details of the convertible notes. I don't know if it's an aggressive notes that's going to convert. Like technically, maybe it's something that they could actually pay back if they wanted to. Because uh, the problem, obviously, with the convertible note is that uh, often companies they, they don't pay back and they just absorb the dilution on the stock, and that's not good for investors. But I don't know. Maybe that's not Rivian's plan. A new F one fifty Lightning was launched this week, and get that name. It's called the Lightning Flash. And it's an interesting new model of the Lightning. It's basically Ford listened to the customers uh, because there, there, there was some complaints about the customers that Ford was overcharging a lot to get that long-range battery. They were like forcing you to have the, the more expensive, more luxurious packages to have access to that big battery pack, which would increase the price of the truck a lot. Uh, and uh, I think the demand for the for for the F one fifty Lightning tends to weigh heavy on the longer range version, uh, just because if you actually want to use it as a work truck and tow and things like that, it does um, kill that two hundred mile range pretty quickly. So you want a higher range version. So they basically put like a, some kind of Frankenstein vehicle together where they have some of the options of the more luxurious uh, versions, uh, and that still that they have that long range battery uh, also so you end up with a range of 320 miles uh, but you also have uh, some of the more high-tech features in the vehicle like the tow tech package the uh, power tailgate the heat pump to optimize energy use um, what else what else i mean it's it's a high-tech version of the f-150 i mean for me like i looked at this package and that's definitely like i, w I don't want the lariat or platinum it's got a bunch of stuff that i wouldn't need oh the lariat version is sweet yeah i know it's like a luxury car yeah. but i don't know i think the flash is the perfect mix of like high tech like it's got the long range it's got the heat pump which is good for the cold 
it'll improve your range a lot. And uh, it's also got the you know the bigger screen and the the other stuff. So yeah. so it started at seventy thousand dollars. So you get that long range battery for seven thousand dollars less. Yeah, and then basically. obviously it's good. It's under eighty thousand for the you know the platinum doesn't hit, uh, apply to the. Yeah. But you still have credit. that with the Lariat too. So right, if you want to get that luxury, it's it's a nice addition. Yeah, it's a it's a sweet spot. They, they they made a new sweet spot version of the uh, Lightning. Yep. I wonder if that has anything to do with the Cybertruck. I mean, the yeah, timing. the timing is pretty good for the Cybertruck, for the Silverado too. Like, especially the Silverado maybe because the Silverado's big seller is its big range. So, so they made the rangy version of the Lightning more accessible to people. Right. Now they just need to make it in a high volume. Rivian has also improved its uh, own pickup truck this week. Well, not just the pickup truck. The uh, did did you know? I said you're a Rivian owner now. So it, when, I when actually you... got this update, and it, it's under embargo, so I can't talk about it. Huh? They gave me this update. They they asked for my VIN number, and uh, but we so have it. We 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 did an article on it already. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's public knowledge, but nobody's gotten it. It's like. Oh. It was sent to like OEM stuff, and somebody leaked it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, we got it to the Rivian tracker. Okay. Yep. Looks like so that. So you cannot say anything about it, but I can tell uh, you that it improves <laughs> it improves towing range, uh, towing range estimates. So that I always say that's a a great thing, like uh, about range anxiety. Range having a lot of range is great, but having uh, accurate range estimates is the biggest thing to kill range anxiety and obviously when you tow that screw with your range a lot so if you can have a, a more accurate prediction on that too that's also great so they're doing that they're doing something called halloween mode i'm not gonna look into that too much um what else they're doing okay we have it it's it's basically a new ui for okay. um the you know if you're going up and down with the the height and also the uh um it gives you some access to more information it there's like a little compass on there you can see from that uh, previous image or the two previous images it's a nice update it's not super like i almost like i'm kind of having trouble finding enough information to do a story on this because it's all yeah. kind of like right here in front of us um there's a compass on there, you know, as a little widget. Um, it's got the turning thing you can see above. Um, uh, it's got temperatures of all the motors. So, if nice. you know, yeah. It's I mean, I guess this is all more for like off-roading stuff, I guess. Right. Yeah. You don't do much off-roading with your... Uh, I, I actually had to go around. Uh, my wife parked uh, in the driveway, so I had to go in the grass <laughs> around to get to the garage. So... Crazy stuff. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah Maverick. Uh, Lucid also launched a new version of the Air. It's a rear-wheel drive version. It's the new most affordable trim for the, the Air. And um, it starts at a price of $77,400. So it's the new cheapest by far, starting to compete with the uh, Model S now. But it's not an pricing. SUV, though. Yeah, it's not an SUV. So you can't uh, get that sweet federal tax credit. No, sixty thousand. Uh, is it fifty-five thousand dollars? Is that the limit? Or the yes and then? 
Uh, and you still get, well, you still get a decent, more than decent range. What's the range on this thing? Uh, I think that that's the biggest seller for the uh, for the air. Four hundred and ten miles of range, so you get over four hundred miles for this uh, seventy-seven thousand dollars price point. Uh, and also, you get still very luxurious interior and whatnot. So, I mean, I I really I want to try the air. I've never tried the Lucid Air, and I really want to try it. And Lucid told me that I was going to try it this summer in Quebec. I haven't tried it, and I'm offended. I'm kidding. I'm not offended by it, but I wish they would give me like I even I even emailed them this week uh, this week because I'm going on a road trip between Montreal and Quebec, which is a very easy road trip, like uh, nothing like that. But I was I was, like I thought it was a great opportunity to try the air, and they haven't gotten back to me. So Lucid doesn't want me to try the air, and because I, I've heard good things, and I've heard bad things about the driving experience the interior feel and whatnot i've i've had in the interior though before i haven't driven it by side interior and i didn't see that like like anything bad feel to it so no it looked really nice yeah but uh, i wish i could spend some more time with it and some driving experience with it that would be uh that would be fun all right uh we have some time to take you guys questions uh, it can be about what we discussed today or it can be um, about any EV subject, we still have about uh, 10 minutes before Seth has to go. So let's do it. All right, Carl in San Diego, question for the audience. Have you ever come close to zero charge and had to pull into a stranger's home business to ask to use level one charger? I've never had that. Have you ever had that? I've never had that. I've uh, The closest I've been was uh, probably like 2 3%. And uh, I was going for a supercharger anyway at that. So... I arrive at the supercharger. Yeah, I don't know if I'm lucky or, but I've just never had a problem with charging. Like I've, I've, I've been kind of low sometimes. Like yeah. you know, I wasn't getting the kind of range I was expecting. I slowed down a little bit, made it without a problem. I don't know. Yeah, you need to keep an eye on it if you're doing a long distance and you know you're going to be short. You keep an eye on it just to be sure, and you adjust like you said. And most of the time, like you know where you're going, so if you have a good range prediction, and there's good chargers at the other end of the, uh, yeah. All right, Brian says in August, outlet said that Tesla bought Wiferon. However, if you go to Wiferon website on the top, it says they have been bought by a company named Poles. No one has reported on this. What's true? Yeah, uh, I've uh, looked it up, and all the business document that pointed us that Tesla acquired a company still says the same that it's Tesla acquired. So I'm as confused as anyone else on this. Uh, I've saw a website, the other on the website, I look up Pulse. It looks like a legit, like a small startup that also, so it's not out of question that it could have bought a company, obviously, if it's on the website, they said there's going to be an announcement on, uh, October 10th that's coming. So we're going to, I'm going to wait for that to know for sure, because everything that pointed at Tesla about it before is still points to that. So unless we see like concrete update on that, I'm going to wait in the meantime until October 10th to, uh, do an update article on that. All right. Uh, next question, Carl in San Diego. Are BYD Seagulls going to be the next or the first people's EV? I would I would almost say the Model Y is the first people's EV. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I know what he's saying, like pricing wise, and but the, so the volume. I, I guess it might be the first people's EV, people's of China's EV. <laughs> like, it's where it's 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 accessible. So BYD has been a little bit shy to get into the North American market with its electric vehicles for for good reasons. Uh, it's just it's harder to come with Chinese made EVs, though others have done it. Uh, same in the European market, they've uh, they, they've they've done it and they, uh, not 
in a few markets, they haven't expanded that much. Um, I So I guess it depends what you mean by first people's EV. Like first people is like, it has to be available everywhere, I guess. And it's, it's just not right now. So in China is the first people's EV. I guess that's uh, that's significant. And uh, what yeah, I like about the UID, and they, they've made some announcement lately, um, the South American market has been neglected with electric vehicles uh, for a while now. Uh, it is a, a market that is uh, obviously not ready in a grand scale in terms of infrastructure for electric vehicles, but it has a great potential and there's a lot of uh, economies down there that are uh, booming. Uh, so BYD has uh, made some advancement in, into those markets with their electric vehicles. So the, it's an opportunity for, for them to make a big impact there. So I like that they're doing that. Uh, maybe I like they're doing that more than the North American market, though I wouldn't mind them uh, taking a share of that too so uh, and making it more competitive. You know what the Seagull is a copy of? Yeah, it looks a lot like the Volta. <laughs> uh, no, I, I actually had to shorten this picture to make it uh, <laughs> look like it. But um, yeah, it, it's kind of a Bolt-ish kind of vehicle. Um, I think it would do well in the U.S. I don't think they'll bring it here, though. Yeah, I mean, BYD has some nice vehicles, too. Like I think, I think if they come, they will come with their higher-end stuff first. Yep. All right, Ralph Spratt, Model S one. 2021 remaining electric power shows as, for example, 380 miles, but it's inaccurate by 20%. Left on navigation panel is much more accurate, just multiply percent. Left times current. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think we've kind of talked a lot about how the. Um, how fast do you drive, Ralph? <laughs> I don't know. And in a Model S, uh, you're probably not a. You're not going to get what it says on the. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I have a similar experience with my Teslas too, but I drive fast. Right. Like, I can admit that. Like, if, it's cold up there sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, if you talk about cold the weather, that's that's completely different. But even like in the summer, I don't get the range I'm getting. But also, I drive a little bit faster than the limit. Um, so if I slow it down, which I do sometimes when I need to, because I'm a bit concerned about my range for whatever reason. I get I get it pretty close in the the dis, to the display range. Yeah, so we've talked about the uh, you know is it, is it a deliberate error? Probably yes. Uh, Carl in San Diego, it's annoying that Tesla had moved to all wheel drive only for more than a year. That was an unnecessary choice to keep it higher priced. Glad glad to see. Real wheel drive return, Carl. Uh, we know that you're in San Diego. There's not a lot of snow there, so. Uh, yeah. But you're right. Uh, most people can get by with all wheel drive. Well, I like to have the options. Like, if like I would be fine that Tesla keeps the all wheel drive options too. Like, you know, why why did it go away? Why couldn't it be both? Yeah, and I and I like something that GM's doing and putting really cheap, low powered uh, front wheel drive uh, motors on that. Don't even activate until you're in the snow or whatever. Yeah, that, that's cool. Uh, Damer Oberstay, there aren't enough superchargers to get from Tijuana to Cabo. Is that true? Fred, do I don't, I don't think he, like, I'm, I don't know how many people are trying to get from Tijuana to Cabo San Lucas, to be honest. That is a crazy drive. I've done that uh, drive. You've done that drive in a bus, to, like in a, a minivan or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but so you can talk to it like, I, I've thought about it, but then I looked it up and I'm like, oh, this doesn't look like fun at all. These are not nice roads to anything. It's uh, 
you want to go to Cabo, you have to uh, take a boat or fly, basically. Yeah, flying's uh, the way to go. There's a lot of parts that are not fully inhabited, and like this, it's like a desert too. So it's not, it's not a great drive. But I mean, one day, like maybe Tesla can put some like uh, off-grid superchargers along the way. That would be cool. That would be cool. Even just a few, like yeah. you know, a four-pack. All right, Carl in San Diego. I rewatched the Investor Day Q and A answer about the vehicle to grid, and it was very clear they were not planning to do it when asked. Instead, it was an answer that said we could we could do it, and we chose and we could choose to do it by twenty twenty five. That's not how I understood was it. Was that personally. the one with Drew, with Drew and Elon were on stage and people were in their cars watching? Uh, no, that was not the no. one. That was more is more recent than that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I remember like. Drew said, we're going to do it by 2025. We're going to be ready by 2025 to do it and everything. And before that, he had said the Cybertruck. That was before that ever noticed that the Cybertruck would be the first one. Um, and then Elon sort of poo-pooed the idea a little bit right after. So that's true. Um, but he, I, I don't think he poo-pooed it like, yeah, we shouldn't do that. Like, I don't care about doing that. It's like, I don't, he said, he said it like, I don't think that he basically was trying not for, for people not to not buy the power wall because of it. Like he was like, the power wall is still the best option. Everything it would, it would be nice to have it on top of it. And I agree. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I think Tesla's going to have to do it at some point. I think it might come sooner rather than later. Yep. All right. Uh, do you think you'll, uh, Daniel DeYoung says, do you think they'll cut the price on the Chinese made model Y in Canada too? It, is demand for the Chinese Model Y with exports to Europe and Canada higher than the Austin factory? Um, it doesn't look like they're doing that. It looks like they might be moving back to the uh, US-made Model Y for Canon market, at least for now. I don't know if it's a demand issue or, or what, but it looks like that's what they're doing for now. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't expect a price cut beyond what happened this week. All right. Uh, seems like heavy-assed Cybertruck would get stuck in the sand quickly for Baja driving. Hmm. I don't know if that's... What do you think? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's definitely heavy. It's an electric truck, but um, I wouldn't, I don't know if it would necessarily... Like, we've seen plenty of electric trucks do very well in uh, uh, in the sand, and we've seen we've seen actually we've seen an electric vehicle in Baja, like uh, made by a Spanish company. Uh, I think in Spanish electric utility, and it's done very well too. And it was heavy, so I don't know. Maybe I think the Cybertruck can do well too. All right, I uh, didn't know Jay Leno had a commercial driver's license. Yeah, I thought about that too when I was watching. He was like, "Is he... Jay Leno? Come yeah, on. he just, he can do whatever he wants." Yeah. Hi from Saudi. Hello. Uh, maybe a Lucid employee there, uh, Mike. <laughs> The car geek, what is the size of the semi battery? I keep hearing 850 to 900 kilowatt hours, but nothing official. Yeah, that's what we speculated based on the charge rate. Um, But uh, yeah, they they have not. You know, Tesla now, Tesla refuses to confirm any kind of energy capacity in any of its vehicle uh, systems. So maybe it allows them to switch around a little bit. Yeah, it's long range and nothing. (laughs) Yeah, long range and not even standard range anymore. It's long range or. Another and they and they give you miles, but the miles aren't always yeah. right. 
All right. Uh, Bill Roosh says a plan of this size. I think we're talking about Mexico. Almost anywhere would require new infrastructure. So maybe that's part of the. Oh the yeah, for sure. There. But also like any infrastructure, like it's it's not there's there's nothing there basically. Like it even needs it needs also like a new, like it needs a new road. It needs a new exit on the highway. It needs a lot of things. Yep. Uh, Bill Roche is from Kansas. Uh, Seattle Vienna says, do you think long-term any car brand will refuse to adopt the NACs in the U.S.? I mean, the only one that seems to be refusing it right now is kind of Lucid. I uh, thought Lucid adapted it. Uh, Lucid did? Yeah, I thought so. Am I making this up? Uh, I mean, there's so many announcements of that that I might be mistaken. I don't know, but I feel, yeah, I feel like, like they're only like German and Japanese that haven't. No. No, they haven't announced anything. Okay, maybe they haven't. And I, I feel like uh, Rawlinson actually commented on it where he was like not on board. Right, um, maybe because of the 800 volt thing. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe there's still some bad blood with Tesla. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's only one that I, I, I felt like a, that I remember some outspoken like resistance to it. But honestly, like if everybody else adopted and like almost everybody has adopted it so far, other than like Volkswagen and uh, a few others, a few Japanese too, it becomes the de facto standard. And at the same time, they are just shoot, they, they will shoot themselves in the foot next year when all these other automakers have Tesla adapters and start taking advantage of the superchargers and the, their owners can't. Like, why would you buy an EV from them? Because there's no one. The, the biggest Tesla hater out there cannot argue against the fact that the supercharger network is far superior than anything else in the US and in North America right now. And it is a nice thing to have a very nice charging network when you own an EV. It, it is. It's also a smaller adapter. Yeah, it's also just a better solution right. in general. But that hasn't stopped the industry for all, any industries to adopt the worst standard that happened in the past. Yeah. But right now, the 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 Tesla is dingling a carrot right now. It's like the supercharger network. You want access to it? You want access to it? Um, then adopt the NACs. Which, to be honest, Tesla is, doesn't have to do that. Like, I think it would, they would, Tesla would do better not doing that. I think they would do better just uh, using it as a moat. But it's one of those moves that I think Tesla is true to its mission. They're like, our mission is not to be the only EV manufacturer. It's to accelerate the adoption of electric transportation. And I think that move is that. It's like, we are going to make your EV owners happier. We're going to make it easier for people to buy your vehicles because they're going to have access to a better EV network. They're going to make some money along the way too. Like they're going to charge for that supercharger, but like, of course they're doing, like they're going to do that. But I think if you zoom back and you like, you have like two alternate universe where you have an alternate universe where Tesla opens the next and once that Tesla keeps its supercharger network closed to Tesla uh, owners, I think Tesla makes more money by owning a bigger part of the North American market, which already owns 60% of it. Uh, of, of course, it's been gradually reducing, but it's still a massive part and it will still be versus Tesla opening it and making some money selling that electricity to some people. But like people always compare charging infrastructure, EV charging infrastructure to like gas station. It's like, it's not the same. Like everyone that has 
a gasoline car needs to go to the gas station. Not everyone that has an electric car needs to go to a supercharger because most of the time you charge at home. So it's not the same business, but it is going to be a big business that this is going to make some money off. But I think they make more money by owning a bigger percentage of the EV market, which they decided not to do. So kudos to Tesla. All right. Uh, Spikes43 says, question, Seth, are you going to do a longer-term Rivian review? Are you glad to have it, or would you rather have a Volvo EV9 if they were available? Volvo or EV9 if they were available. Uh, so, yeah, I've been quite busy lately. Um, I, I was going to do, do a 90-day 90, 90 because Rivian was like, hey, it's been 90 days. How do you like your Rivian? And I was like, oh, I, this would be a good post. And then <laughs> never got around to it. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, just just on my Rivian, I love it. It's a great car, but it's it's big, and I would much rather drive a Bolt around town, and that's ninety percent of what I do. Um, and then for super long trips, we have the the Model Y, and that's kind of the, the default one for that. So the only time we really use the Rivian um, is when there's going to be seven people in the car, or when we're going to go off roading, which is almost never, as you alluded to earlier. Um, so it's it's just kind of like one of those things is sitting in my driveway a lot. We're not putting a lot of miles on it. I wonder if we had gotten a uh, Volvo EX90, um, if we would use that more often. Um, that does have a third row, but they're still not delivering those things. Um, I don't even think they have a, they, I don't know if they even had a test drive for that yet. And they're having a test drive for the EX30 uh, next week or the week after. So that's interesting uh, and weird. And then obviously the key EV9 is not going to be nearly as good, but it's, it's still huge. Um, it probably doesn't drive well on the highway. Um, I mean, the Rivian is a great vehicle and it does what it says it's going to do. It's just, I don't need a seven seat off-roading vehicle when I'm, you know, driving around, dropping off, picking up kits. I mean, that's pretty much 90% of what I do, which is sad. Um, so here's a good example. I'm going to Vermont this weekend without anybody. And, um, you know, I'm taking the Tesla because, you know, it's going to be easier to charge. And, uh, you know, I'm going all the way up to Burlington. Maybe you should come down. We'll, we'll have a uh, coffee or something, but, um, Quebec city. Uh, that's right. Maybe, maybe I'll sneak up there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, it's not too much further from Burlington, right? Yeah. It's a little bit. Um, anyway, uh, like why would I take the Rivian for that? Like, I'm just going to be, you know, driving on a highway. I might as well drive in, a, in the Tesla. Um, and it's, you know, easier to supercharge. Um, then find, I mean, I, I, I could easily find, uh, charging points. So I don't know. I, I kind of think maybe I shouldn't have gotten the Rivian because I don't really use it as much as somebody who would, you know, go off-roading a lot more or has, you know, maybe they have five kids or something. I don't know. So that's my take. It's a great car. All right. Uh, Crimson Decade, at least they should allow you to transfer it. I think we're talking about, um, FSD. Yeah. So they dropped the price down 2000, but you can't transfer anymore. So, you know, both Fred and I are talking about up- upgrading our model. You know, so our, they our squeezed cars. everyone to like buy a new car, buy a new car by the end of September because we won't let you transfer. And then as soon as it's done, oh, by the way, it's like now $2,000 cheaper. So yeah, it's like, I knew this was going to happen. So yeah, same. Um, I'm waiting for them to announce one more time that they're going to do that with the long yeah. euro price. And then maybe I'll upgrade, but like, I don't, I don't like, like, you know, for a long time, Tesla was like, I were not like those greedy 
dealership like that gives someone a price and then gives someone else a price you're you're getting pretty damn close tesla to yeah. do that like your pricing strategy i mean i'm glad that the price is going down but the way that they pull those demand triggers on people and like elon saying oh this is a one-time amnesty of it and all that it sounds like uh like just any kind of car dealer salesman to me yeah by the way, uh, my wife took my son to. Ah, okay, so we good. Yeah, I was just, I was just looking at the one sixty. Yeah, way past that time. All right, uh, question. Now that Nax is standard, will other electric mobility devices like motorcycles accept the transition to the new charging standard? Uh, yeah, that's already happening. Verge uh, motorcycles already announced yeah. that. It, I mean, it, it's even better for motorcycles. A smaller adapter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, it's the company happy. I work with, uh, Tehran, that does electric ATVs, also uh, are adapting the NACs on their next generation vehicles, boats, snowmobiles, mm-hmm. all manner of transportation. Yeah, everything that does level three has to do it, basically. Yep. All right, Carl Sanu, eighteen Silverados sound like a press event batch. I think that's actually about how many <laughs> they had at the press event. Maybe they just sold those off. I don't know. Uh, yeah, because because be deliveries are supposed to be deliveries at, uh, to dealers, so dealer, so yeah, it cannot it cannot be just like they can't, but can, that's yeah. about the same amount. Yeah. So maybe they made thirty six. Yeah. All right, au- auction wheels question: Will the Ionic Five charge at two hundred forty kilowatts with the Nax? So Ionic Five uses eight hundred volt charging, so I think it actually charges a little bit less, uh, significantly less actually. Yeah. Uh, well. They have two fifties chargers, though that Tesla. Yeah, but they're at four hundred volts. They are no, they're not the new ones. Volts? The new ones are not six hundred. Oh, they might be six hundred. Yeah, I think the latest ones are six hundred now. But anyway, it, Tesla can support Nax can support up to a thousand volt. So eventually they will. Now, right now on the superchargers, you wouldn't be able to get that on most of them. But that's also true on other charging station too. Like it depends on the station. Like there are plenty uh, of CCS stations that are capped at 150 kilowatts. So right, and and yeah. frankly, 150. If you're getting that for most of the charge, it's yeah, good. you're yeah happy with that too. Like the charging curve is also is the most important thing. Yep. Uh, how scary is it to own a very expensive Rivian if they can't turn around and go bankrupt? Um, I'm. Like if they're if they're if they lose a lot more money, I'll I'll start worrying about it more. But yeah, at this point, I mean, it depends on how long you want to keep it too. Like I think Rivian is going to survive for at least the next four years, uh, the worst. Like so, and that that that's again worst case scenario. I'm saying. So yeah, if you want to keep it like five years, that's worrying. Obviously, also maybe like three years from now, if things go downward, like uh, I guess it's going to be a little bit uh, harder to sell. But yeah. Yeah, and I got mine for seventy whatever thousand, yeah. so I can probably break even if I sell it now. Yeah. Um, Eric Williams' question: Are you worried about the impact of UAW strikes on Detroit OEM future production plans for EVs? Will it will the negotiated outcome slow the transition? Uh, possibly, but I mean, so far we we haven't seen a giant impact on their EV production. It looks like they haven't targeted that specifically with the strikes. So so far, so good. Uh, we've seen some progress too. Right when we were going live, uh, the UAW president announced that uh, they had a deal with GM for at least for the battery uh, plans. So they're going to unionize the battery plans. Uh, I'm sure that that was some kind of goodwill gesture from GM to sweeten a, a possible overall deal. I don't think an overall deal has been achieved with GM just yet, but 
Um, they were getting a lot closer with Ford. Now it sounds like some progress with GM. So, and Chrysler, it's hard to care about Chrysler right now. They have plans. They're coming with things. They have their RAM, and I'm getting. I'll get excited when it, when it comes. But uh, right now, like, what kind of uh, Detroit OEM production, EV production from Chrysler would they be impacting? Nothing. Yeah, I guess the uh, the uh, what is it? The Chrysler Pacifica minivan that hybrid bug and hybrid not big numbers there all right yeah. uh what will fred see first a unicorn or a forty thousand dollar cyber truck hmm. a, a unicorn for sure I don't, I don't think we see a forty thousand dollar cyber truck ever unless uh, unless some big change with the inflation happens too and then we come back to a, a more reasonable market but uh like with tesla probably starting with the higher end going down but like if the the cheapest right now with the current microeconomics, I don't see a, a cheaper cyber truck than fifty sixty thousand probably. Yeah. All right, question, especially for towing, but also for every V. I want to see the actual kilowatt hours in the battery real time. Why can't we have that with an aftermarket setup? I I'm, how I useful know. is that though? How is that more useful than uh percentage or or, or miles? He just wants the raw data. I yeah. don't know. I guess that I helps. mean, I, I, I think that actually are third-party apps that does that, I would, I would assume. All right. Of these companies, which do you think is least likely to be around in 10 years? Fisker, Lucid, or Jaguar? Interesting three. Ooh, they, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mike took some three. Very interesting one. Uh, I mean, right now, based on the financials, I would say Lucid least likely to be around but in terms of products i would say lucid most likely to stay around i think but again i haven't drove it make me drive it lucid <laughs> i was <laughs> I gonna say it, but from, from on paper i think they have the best product and the best product uh the, the best plan they have the best strategy they just need to turn their financial situation around which i think is possible especially with the backing of the saudis um fisker Fisker is kind of a mystery to me right now. Like, I, I don't know how, like, uh, I've saw like the big event that they had a few months ago and, uh, like they seem to be all over the place. Like they like kept getting a prototype how the one after the other and everything. Like, I, I don't like to see that from a small EV startup that still figuring out how to sell, uh, EVs. Also, they are heavy on advertising. I don't know about, about you said, but I see advertising everywhere from Fisker on our, on our site, on Instagram, on Facebook, they are everywhere there. So that tells me like, oh, they are they having issues to actually sell that thing, even though the car seems like an actual like decent product. So I don't know. Fisker is a question mark for me. Jaguar, like Jaguar, I mean, we need we need to see what's next for them. Like, what's going to be the next generation? Because the high pace is done. Basically, like it's staying like very poor numbers, and they have to recall them all anyway now. So. Um, like, I know they are going electric. They are very, but we we need to see like how serious is going to be their next electric product. But Jaguar has a big brand, obviously, and they 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 have They're some loyal China. fan base uh, in the luxury segment. So they they are not in a bad position. They just need to like do finally execute the transition to EV, um, and leave that high pace behind and do something like brand new. So I don't know. It's a tough one. On a purely financial basis, definitely lucid. Um, 
but I think like more like generally speaking, I would Fisker, I think is the probably the, the one that is like least impactful, I think is gonna be Fisker. All right, uh, TN9 question. Would you like, would like to hear your estimate on what year the first sodium battery car hit North American market? Yeah, my estimate yes. would be valueless. I don't have, I don't know enough about it. Yeah, maybe it would hit Mexico because uh, I know they're starting to, to be uh, built in China. So that might be their first port of call. P.S. Love your show. Thanks a lot. Uh, Mike, the car geek, uh, F. Uh, sorry, front wheel drive is only good in snow because of weight distribution is over the front. Rear wheel drive in an AV with relatively even distribution should be a okay. Yeah, absolutely, that's true. All right, and then uh, Fisker is definitely marketing to Carl through yeah. YouTube. Yeah, they're marketing everywhere. All right, uh, thanks everyone for listening to the show this week. A lot of you are uh, tuned in. I appreciate it. Uh, if you're still listening, an hour, 25 minutes uh, into the show, you're a real one. We appreciate you. If you can give us a thumbs up, a like, a subscribe, a five-star rating on your podcast app, all those things, we appreciate them a lot. They help keep the show going. We are a top 10 automotive podcast in the world. That's not true in the US, but still, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Uh, we're going to see you same time, same place next week. Have a great weekend. Stay safe out there. Bye-bye. That's not, that's not the one that